Well, it's a privilege this morning. Pastor Paul is on vacation, and uh, <clears throat> I had a great message last Sunday from Pastor Jim Malloy from our district. This morning, I get to share, and the next week, Pastor Fred uh, is with us, part of our congregation now. He's going to be bringing the message next, next week. And I just love how God just kind of orchestrates things. And uh, if you were here two Sundays ago, Pastor Paul preached the message on the storm. And then Pastor Jim came back and preached pretty much the same message <laughs> from a different, different book in the Bible, but preached on the same thing. And when Pastor asked me to preach, I don't know, three, four weeks ago, um, I had this idea come to me right away. And that's weird because I don't preach very often, and, uh, but God just kind of laid it on my heart, trusting the invisible. And <clears throat> as I was preparing it, I thought, oh my goodness, I can't do a third sermon in the same track as it was the last two weeks. I'm like, wait a minute, that's, that's God, that's how God lines things up. And so maybe you're here this morning and you're going through something, God hears you and sees you because the last three weeks are all in the same vein. And uh, so if he's speaking to you this morning, open your heart and receive. Trusting the invisible. How often have you heard someone say to you, trust God? You just got to trust God. Leave it with him. Whether it's for your finances, for health, a new home, a new job, family, whatever. We've heard it all. Heard it many times. And we've probably said it many times. You just got to trust God. And chances are there's a good portion of the people in the room this morning who are going through something that uh, feels like you have no control over. It's out of your control. Something that if God doesn't step in, you don't know how the, where the answer is going to come from. Some of you may have even heard those words this morning when you came into this place. Maybe someone shook your hand. They knew what you were going through, a friend, and they said to you, you just got to trust God. You just got to trust God. But if we're being honest, it's hard to trust God. Let's be honest. Let's be real. When you're in it, it's hard. It's easy to say it. But when you're in the storm, it's hard. And why is that? Why is the idea of faith and belief so difficult for us to, to grasp as human beings? I think the biggest reason is the way we're created, which is kind of ironic. God created us that way. But we're created with senses, right? God's created us with a sense of touch and smell, taste, hear. It's the flesh. But we also have a spiritual nature that is actually more real than the flesh, and we all know that. But too often... The flesh and the spirit are in conflict with each other, and the flesh tends to win. We give in to the flesh. Galatians 5 and 17 says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. God, why did you create us that way? But that's where we live. You want to eat right. You want to lose weight. You want to exercise more, you want to read the Bible more, you want to pray more, give more, trust more, whatever. That's the spirit in you. I want to do those things. But then the flesh steps in and you end up eating McDonald's every second day or sitting on the couch surfing channels or skipping uh, you know, a week of devotions and you're way behind or a couple paychecks come in and you don't pay your tithe and it's just, you know, things just kind of fall apart. You take the easy way out and the flesh wins again. It's crazy how weak our flesh is. And you think of the scripture in Hebrews 11.1. 1, it says, now faith is, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And it starts to make a lot more sense that faith 
really is the evidence of things not seen, and that a spiritually driven life is a life of constant faith and belief. And as humans, we're very slow to trust, right? Especially someone we don't see. Have you ever heard someone uh, or seen someone, you probably all have, do the fall, you know, trust me, fall back and I'll catch you. Seen some, Priscilla, you come help me for a second. He's like, no. I could get Johnny, but. Priscilla, just stand right here. Back to me, hands by your side. Okay? Now don't, don't look, don't turn around. I'm going to go over here. You just got to trust me. Okay? Count of three, I want you to just fall backwards. I'm going to catch you. Ready? One, two, three. Well, maybe you need to get me to know me a little better. I'll move a little closer. Let's try that again. Ready? On count of three. Promise, I'll catch you. Ready? One, two, three. Oh, she doesn't know me. Can't touch, can't touch, can't feel, can't see, can't taste, can't. Well, you can hear me, but how about I stand right behind you? You trust me? So you're going to fall back? Whoa! Thank you. Now, that kind of ruined my illustration. Actually, you weren't supposed to fall back, but hey. It's kind of like that with God, right? He's so far away, we don't even know him. And as he gets closer, as he gets closer, he gets closer. Then you tend to trust him a little more, a little more. But even then, even then it's hard quite hesitant, and then you add to that pain and frustration of whatever, whatever your circumstance, whatever you're in, and trusting the unseen God becomes very, very difficult. <clears throat> when we find ourselves in storms, we do everything we can to protect ourselves, let's be honest. We try everything we can, we go to the bank, we go to family members, we go to whatever, do it all, and then when all that's exhausted, then it's like, okay, God, I need you. We don't want to lean back and trust the unseen. But we have to daily ask the Lord for grace to trust Him, no matter what our flesh sees, no matter what we feel. And remember, we can only see an inch in front of us. When it comes to the realm of eternity, all we can see is like right here. And we think we can, you know. But God sees the whole picture, church. He sees the beginning, He sees the end, and He's orchestrating things in our lives. He's writing our story, and all the ups and downs are being weaved together to create something beautiful. Back in February, and some of you know this story, but back in February, Deborah Lee, my wife, fell and uh, she had a concussion and, excuse me, a, what do they call it, inverted whiplash, I think it was. <clears throat> so she was off work for a couple of days, a couple of days became a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks became a couple of months, uh, and here we are in the summer, fingers crossed, she'll be cleared to go back in September, but we still don't know for sure. And so... It was a t test for us. We had to trust God, you know. The insurance slowly ran out. The sick time slowly got used up. A little bit of savings we had started to get used up. And so we're like, okay, Lord, what? what's going on? We need you to come. We need you to answer. We need you to heal. We need you to restore her so she can get back to work. And uh, I'm, I'm, you know, we make pretty good money between the both of us and her business and but yet, I, I'm always looking at the numbers. I'm always in <laughs> every week, right, just adding things up. This goes here, this goes here, this much goes in savings. And I really, I drive myself nuts. I get stressed out about it sometimes. And, but Deborah Lee, she doesn't even know what's in the bank account usually. And easy peasy. But through this last few months, it kind of switched because I was like, God, you know what? I'm just going to trust you for it. I'm going to 
leave it with you, and whatever happens, happens. And I was able to take my hands off of that. You can ask Deborah Lee. Surprised myself, really. I didn't even look at the budget. Made sure the bills were paid, and that was it. I didn't care. Like, it'll come. It'll come. Of course, then she started to take on some of that stress. She started to looking at the numbers and feeling the pressure and feeling maybe a little bit of, well, this is my fault. You know, I fell and yada, yada, yada. And I said, honey, it's not your fault. Let's just go to the Lord. And so it really drew us together. It drew us closer to the Lord. And it showed us that we can trust God in those times. God showed up. God did things that surprised us. And don't you love it when the Holy Spirit surprises you? Money comes from nowhere. You know, healing happens. You've been praying for it for how long, and then all of a sudden it happens, or your prayer is answered. And the Holy Spirit loves doing that. Just like earthly parents, we love to surprise our kids. We love to do things for them. And the Holy Spirit does that in our lives. We trust Him. We give Him room to move. But sometimes, like earthly parents, we let, the Holy Spirit lets us go through things, as we would our kids. You see them struggling and, or with finances or whatever, and you're like, you know what? They need to learn. And I can't just bail them out again, bail them out again. I'm going to let them go through it, and from that they're going to learn something, and hopefully they won't do it again. And the Holy Spirit does that to us sometimes. But through the storms, He's molding us into something more beautiful than we were before. Through the storms, He's creating maybe a little more mature Christian out of it. And He's letting you walk through something that maybe, who knows, two years, three years down the road, maybe one of your kids is going through something, and they can look at your storm, your experience, what you've come through, And it can be a testimony to them. I love how God does that. He takes our messes, He takes our storms, all of that, and He uses it to bring glory to Him. He's the potter, right? Or the clay. And sometimes the squeeze has got to come on, right? You've all seen the potter's wheel, how they shape it and squeeze it and make it into something. Sometimes you've got to break things off of us. And it hurts. But when we come out the other side, we're more beautiful for it. Sometimes our only hope is to trust Him. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4 says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on you because he trusts you. Trust the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. And through it, I can say honestly, God gave me that peace. I trusted him and somehow God is God. I had a peace. I didn't worry about it. It It's almost like, you know what, I don't care. God will show up. He'll do it. And that's the kind of peace God can give you when you truly surrender to Him. And I don't know your story. I don't know what you're facing. As I was preparing this, of course, some of you, I know bits and pieces of where you're at, things you're going through. It's like, Lord, speak to them today. May today be the, the day that it breaks off, the day that they see the revelation of what you're trying to do in their lives. But most of you, I don't know. But I do know a God who does. And I just want to take a few moments. We're going to look at a few stories in Scripture to remind us of some pretty desperate situations where if God didn't show up, it was over. But He did. Sometimes we're in the midst of challenges and trials so deep that we wonder if we'll ever get out, ever get our head above the water. Many times as we face extreme difficulties in life, we feel deserted by God. We feel like He doesn't hear us, doesn't hear our prayers, and we've all experienced despair or desperation or being frightened by something. But we have to realize this, we serve a God who rescues his children. Amen? Let me pray. Father, it's so obvious, Lord, that you're in this room today. As we worship you, Lord, we just sense your spirit 
your presence here with us today. And so, Lord, I just ask that your spirit would go before now and that you would peel back the things that need to be peeled back. Lord, somehow through my humble words today that hearts would be challenged, that, Lord, we would be able to see you maybe in a, just in a different light, a new light, or maybe it's a full revelation today of who you are. But, God, we just ask by your spirit that you would direct this time that we have together. Do your work, Father, today, we ask in your mighty name. So we're going to quickly look at a couple of different stories uh, that most of us probably know well, where the characters had to trust trust the invisible. And for some of you, maybe you're here this morning, I don't ever want to look over anybody that's new, brand new to church, brand new here this morning, never ever heard anything like this before about God or the invisible. Or, and these stories, we're just going to touch on them, but I encourage you, if that's you this morning, grab a Bible, we have free Bibles, take it home with you, read some of these stories in their full entirety because they're so powerful. There's a lot in there. So first, we're going to turn to Daniel, Daniel 6, 16 to 27. And these stories, we're going to read a little bit of Scripture, but Scripture is good, right? So Daniel 6, 16 to 27 says this. <clears throat> then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought, and it was laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet, and with the signet of his lord's, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled him. Then at break of day, the king arose, went in haste to the den of lions, and he came near to the den where Daniel was, and he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel says to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the lions' mouths, and they have not done any harm to me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad. Isn't that crazy? The king threw him in there, and then the king is excited that he didn't get harmed exceedingly glad, and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And then the king commands, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought. They were cast into the den of lions, their children and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them, broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the people, Nations and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you, he said. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. It's a powerful story. Trusting the invisible. I love verse 23, about halfway through, it says, Daniel was taken up out of the den. No kind of harm was found on him. Nothing. Say it with me. He had trusted in his God. It makes all the difference. God reached into his desperate situation, rescued him from certain death. And why? Just because he trusted him. But that's the problem. How could Daniel trust him in that kind of a situation? Daniel knew God. He nurtured that relationship, grew an intimacy with the Lord. 
to a place that even though he couldn't see God, he knew he was there. And like Priscilla, he could fall back and trust God to catch him, deliver him. And if we look back earlier in the chapter, <clears throat> we see this devotion Daniel had to walking and talking with God. And in verse 10, it said that Daniel knew that this law had been passed, whereas if, if you uh, pray to any other god, then of course you're going to be thrown into this den of lions. And he knew it was dangerous to break it, but even though he was loyal to King Darius, because he was highly respected by King Darius, his loyalty to God came first. And he didn't let anything keep him from spending time with God, not even death. And he was able to control the flesh. He put the flesh in its place. No, I'm going to live in this spiritual realm. I'm going to trust God. And what keeps us, what keeps you away from spending time with the Lord? Probably not a threat of lions then, right? But we often give our time to other things. And when the pressure comes in a storm situation, it's so much harder to trust because we don't really know. No, I don't mean know God who he is but know him intimately. We don't know him. We know of him. I love what it says in verse 26 and 27 at the end of the chapter there. The king comes and makes a decree, in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. It goes on and says that he will deliver, he, this God delivers, he works signs and wonders. and Because of Daniel, because of his trust in God, King Darius cause to testify of God's great power and faithfulness. And it ties back to what I said about you and going through your storm and maybe, you know, months, years down the road, your kids will benefit from what you're going through and they'll see the testimony of what you've come through. We don't know how God is working or what he's doing through our struggle and storm, but if we hold on, he can not only rescue us, but he can use it to reach many, many, many more around us. And I can think of stories this morning. People have been sitting here have gone through some crazy stuff in the last few years. And I'm already, we're already, and you know it, you're already seeing how God is using that stuff, using that situation, using that horrible, what could have been almost death for you, using it to reach people around you, using your testimony to speak of how powerful God is. And that's awesome. Then you can turn back to Daniel 3, and this is a story about three guys that would have known Daniel. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or shake the bed, make the bed, to bed we go. That's what I said when I was a kid. That's what I thought it was. Shake the bed, make the bed, to bed we go. But in chapter 3, verse 15 to 25, we're going to read this story real quick. I love this. This is like an action movie, right? Now, if you're ready, the king says, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, Fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who would deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression on his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of, our, of the army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. 
Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace, because the king's order was urgent, and the furnace overheated the flame of the fire and killed the men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men fell, bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Wow. That ought to put goosebumps on your arms this morning. This story, the setup of this, King Nebuchadnezzar had built a golden statue and commanded everybody to, to worship it, to bow when the music played. So the pressure was on these guys. You could say that was, you know, they were in, that was their storm. And again, it was the threat of death if they didn't compromise. But they didn't. They were having no part in it. And without hesitation, they boldly expressed their loyalty to the one true God. I love it. Verse 17 and 18. It says, If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. That's it. That's the way it is. I'm not, we're not worried one bit. But if not, even if he doesn't, be known, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. God had given them the strength to do the right thing, and they were completely confident that he would protect them. Man, I want to have that kind of confidence. Don't you? Don't you want to live like that? Don't you want to be able to trust God in your storm without hesitating or without going through the whole rhyme of whatever it may be? Every other thing besides God, but going to God first and foremost, saying, God, we're going to trust you. We need to know and cling to scriptures like Psalm 46. One and two says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. High scriptures in our heart like Psalm 56, 3 and 4 says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Nothing. He can try, he can beat us down, but we have a spirit man. These guys knew that God's love and power to save them was greater than any power that man could provide to destroy them. Their faith was unconditional, no matter the circumstance, no matter the outcome. Even God, if God didn't rescue them in this particular situation, they refused to deny him. And having faith does not mean we'll always be spared from the trouble. Sometimes it takes more faith to go through the storm than it does to be spared from the storm. But in a world that constantly pressures us to deny our faith and to compromise our commitment to God, church, we must always remember that if we stand strong and boldly live for God in this life, He will stand for us, not only in this life, but for eternity. Right? Just as a side note, I, as I was reading this, did you guys know that these three guys had different names before they came to Babylon? Some of you probably knew that. I, I didn't know that. But their parents had given them godly names. And, uh, of course, if the parents gave them godly names, chances are they had raised them to know God, to trust God. And that's probably where their faith came from. But Shadrach was Hananiah, which meant Yahweh is gracious. Meshach was Michelle, who 
which means who is what God is. And then Abednego was Azariah. Take a chance, Azariah, which means Yahweh is a helper. But the leaders of Babylon, then when these three young men come into Babylon, they change their names, and they give them the name Shadrach, which means I am very fearful of God, or the command of Aku, which is a, a moon god. Meshach, which means I am of little account, or who is like Aku. And then Abednego, meaning servant of the shining one, which is another god, a Babylonian god, meaning Nebo, what is the name? And the leaders of Babylon tried everything they could, could to get these guys to turn their backs on the one true God. But it didn't work. I love that. Life, you know what, will continually throw things at us to try to make us waver in our faith. Try to make us question. Does God really love me? Is God really there? Cause us to waver in our faith and commitment. That's the enemy's plan. That's what he lives for, to steal, kill, and destroy, right? But we have a greater power. A greater power, church. And we say it all the time, you know, the power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me. But we, do we really believe that? Like, if we really, really believe that and walked in that, wow, the stuff we could see, the stuff we could overcome. That's where God wants us to live. We need to tap into it, face our storms head on. And if God is for us, then who can be against us? And I love the way this chapter ends as well. Same kind of theme as Daniel's story. He says, therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language, this is the king speaking, that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego should be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins. Again, moments before he was saying everyone had to bow down, now he switched, realizes how amazing this God is because of what he brought those young men through. And again, because the characters in their stories didn't waver when things were in the darkest, they trusted their testimonies are going to speak huge volumes to the people around them. There's revelation that comes to people that live around you when they see you go through something and you hold on. You don't waver. You don't give in. You don't turn to the world. You don't turn to all the things that are out there that can try to fill the void and make it feel a little less painful, a little less hurtful. That's where we need to live. It all has to be about glorifying God, and we have to be willing to sacrifice for it sometimes. I know it hurts, but God is up to something great, guys. And the third story is my favorite, I think, the story of Moses. And this is a huge story. Um, we're not going to take time to read a whole lot of it. But this guy was a simple man. He felt he could do nothing. He felt unqualified. He had a speech impediment. You know, he said to God, I think you made a mistake when you called me to lead these Israelites. I just don't feel that I can do it. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're feeling, you know what, I moved to Moncton. I'm in a certain job, such and such a place. I thought it was where God wanted me, but man, it's been a struggle. Nothing is working out. It seems like everything is going wrong. God, I think we messed this one up. But God's saying, hang on now. Remember, remember my promise to you. You can trust me. You've got to be patient. I'm working on something beautiful. I'm going to use you for something great. You just need to trust the invisible. Let me ask you something. How faithful, how faithful is God? 10% of the time? 20? 100%. We all believe that? God is faithful 100% of the time? You're sure? No doubt. So how faithful should we be? 100%? You know what? 
Your flesh, I'm sorry to tell you, but your flesh will never, ever be 100% faithful. Never. Your flesh will not cooperate 100% of the time. You know that. But we are sons and daughters of the King. Those of us that know Christ. We are sons and daughters of the King. And that's how we need to walk out our life. Our spirit man can be 100% faithful. Talk to a lot of, not a lot of guys, I shouldn't say a lot, but talk to several guys over the last few years of ministry, and the thing with porn always comes up. It seems to be a big struggle. The enemy's got his, his claws in us as men. And I always say to the guys, you know what? As a man, as a flesh, you're never going to be able to kick that thing. Never. The enemy is too powerful. But in the spiritual man, you can. You can kick it. You can never go back to it. You can stay clear of it for the rest of your life. Often we hear people say, you know, when you get saved, well, you live in a sinful world. You're always going to be a sinner. You're always going to... Probably that's reality for most of us, but it doesn't have to be the truth that we live in. The truth is, when we become a new creation, we can live in that spiritual... We can live... That spiritual man can be 100% of the time true to God. We can live... It is possible to live without sin in this world. Probably none of us in this room are without sin. Jesus was the only one that walked this earth without sin. But the fact is, we have Christ within us. And someday, of course, we're going to be on the other side and we're going to be able to walk in that. But Christ says, right now, I've given you the power to overcome it. It is possible. It is possible. That ought to encourage us today. Back to Moses. Sorry, the story of Moses... um, Like I said, it's big. We're going to simplify it real quick. And we were in Kansas a few months ago, myself, Pastor Ben, Pastor Paul, and Pete Cabrera, the guy there that was hosting the conference. He shared a little bit of Moses' story, and I'm I'm kind of using a little bit of his, stealing a few of his ideas or the way he explained it because it was just so awesome the way he he shared it. But God calls Moses to um, free his people from Egypt, right? Free, Free the Israelites. And how many people, anybody know how many people were in the camp that he had to free? Huh? Two million? Yeah, I don't, I've, it's, the number is not exact, I don't think, but <clears throat> for the sake of our story, I think it was two million men, so men and women, cattle, sheep, let's just going to say three million for a round figure. A lot of people. A lot of people. And we look at that, and I mean, if today, if you were the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, and you were going to free the people of North Korea, imagine what you'd have to go through to, to set that up. I mean, all kinds of meetings, all kinds of uh, dignitaries and presidents and people that you've had to pull in. You had to meet with your military and your navy and whoever, all kinds of people involved. It'd be quite a process. But Moses, God calls him to free three million people, talks to him in a burning bush, and then he gives him a stick. He says, Go. Free my people. All he's got is a stick. Can you imagine trying to free North Korea with just a stick? He shows up and all he says is, God said, let my people go. Now God promised Moses that he would make him look like a god. I mean, Pharaoh was a god. And so God promised to make Moses look big. So that Pharaoh would be impressed, Pharaoh would be scared. He said to Moses, I'm going to give you some stuff. 
And God says to you, I'm going to give you some stuff. I'm going to help you through this. I'll give you what you need. So they leave. Eventually, after all the plagues and all this, they, they get out. They're walking, and somebody's brave enough to speak up, probably somebody like me. Personality is just, don't know when to shut up. I said, Moses, we're just walking around here in the desert. What's, what's the plan? Where are we going? And Moses says, I don't know. I don't know. We're just walking. Eventually, they, they come to the sea. Pharaoh's army is behind them. The sea is in front of them. Now what? Moses, what do we do now? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Moses raises his stick, and the sea opens up. He didn't send a boat. He, didn't, he opened the sea up with just a stick. And that's deep because, you know what? Some of us are in a position today where we're right up against the sea. We don't know where to turn. Behind us, the enemy is coming. Full force. God says, raise Jesus up. Raise me up in your circumstances. And I'll split the sea open for you. I'll show you something amazing. Just raise me up. You don't need a whole lot of stuff. Just raise me up. They're in the desert for 40 years. It's cold in the desert at night. What does God do? Sends a pillar of fire. Keeps them warm. Desert's hot in the day. It could kill you. It's so hot. What does God do? Sends a cloud. AC in the desert. Think about how much water it would take to sustain 3 million people for 40 years. How much? Can't even begin to add that up. What does Moses do? He takes a stick and hits a rock. A rock, and water flows out of a rock for 40 years. How much food for all the cattle, all the kids, the women? Where do they get their clothes? 40 years, God takes care of the Israelites. Pretty sure, church, He can take care of me and you. Pretty sure He can handle when your wife has a concussion and you don't have any money coming in for four months. Pretty sure He can handle that. Pretty sure he can handle your situation. Pretty sure he can handle the sickness you're going through. It might look huge. God can handle it. God can handle it. He took care of three million people for 40 years. He can handle us. But we don't rely on God like that. We don't rely on God like we should. God just wants us to truly surrender. And if we continue to strive, and if we continue to make things happen ourselves, then that's the way... We're going to get them done, or that's where we're not going to get them done. In and of ourselves, we can do only so much. But God says, surrender. Let me do it. And we've got to be like Moses. When we're at the edge of the sea and we don't know what to do, we just have to trust God. That's how it is when we walk in the supernatural, right? You step up to the edge. You say, all right, God, what now? What now? When we're in the position where we're relying on God 100%, God will show up 100% of the time. If we rely on God only 20% in our lives, that's all we're going to know of God. He'll show up, He'll fill that 20%, but that's all you're going to know. The Israelites were in the desert for 40 years. They relied on God for everything, 100%. 
God showed up 100% of the time. He'll show up as much as you need him to show up. If you've got it all together, great. God's not really in the picture a whole lot, is he? But if you have nothing but him, he has to show up. He has to show up because he's faithful. Don't you love that? If you have nothing, God has to show up. God knew things wouldn't be easy for us. But as bad or as desperate as our situation is today, church, he's not being fed to lions. He's not been cast into a fiery furnace. Some of you might say, I'd rather be thrown into <laughs> a fiery furnace than go through what I'm going through right now. You haven't had to lead four, three, four million people out of the desert with just a stick. But when things are bad and we're desperate and afraid is when we have to trust him the most. And he will do for you just what he did for Daniel, for the three Hebrew children, and for Moses. Christ gave his life on a cross. He made his intentions very clear to us because he went to the cross, because he rose again, we can trust him. And he is our only rescue, our only salvation. And maybe you're here today and you're going through a storm and you haven't begun to, to even live this life with Christ. Christ is not in the picture. You've been listening to me and you've heard me say some things about how important it is to nurture our relationship with Christ and grow with him and and to trust the invisible God, and you're thinking, I don't even know who this God is. I have no clue. Well, today you can start that journey. Today you can begin to know Christ. And in a moment we're going to take some time and, and open the altars, and there'll be people here that would love to pray with you and to talk to you about how to begin that journey. And it's very, very simple. Christ wants you to reach out and become part of what he has for your life. And for those of us who had faith, maybe been on the road for many years or a couple of years now, and you feel like you're losing it, press in. I want to encourage you today. You're not losing it. He will deliver you. Let him perform his will his way, church, not our way. And maybe you're feeling angry at God. You're facing hardship and feel like he's not hearing your cries for help. But be assured that the stories of the great rescues found in the Bible that we read today they can happen in your life too. You can be a Daniel. You can be a Moses. I was reading my devotions this week, and it's, I think God is so awesome just the way he does stuff. But this little excerpt I want to read to you from my devotion it said, The Christian life is all about faith. And it ties back to Hebrews 11 again. It says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and knowing something is real even if we do not see it. The easiest thing for us to do is doubt. As an emotionally driven people, we often find ourselves in peaks and valleys caught between hope and despair, and it seems as if the journey of life is a constant roller coaster of highs and lows. It seems that even when we want to move forward with confidence, our flesh continuously wants to resort to the comfort of what we can see, feel, and physically grasp. This can be extremely frustrating because we want to see results and the fruits of our labor quickly. So whatever season you find yourselves in, wherever you find yourself today, no matter how desperate it seems, let me encourage you to press in. Press in. Don't give up. Don't let the flesh rule your emotions. That's the biggest thing, not letting the flesh control us. In the spirit, we are victorious because he is victorious. He's already won, won the war. You're going through a battle, but you know... 
He's already won the war. He has a plan, and even though we can't see him, we need to trust the invisible. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for good and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. God's right behind you. He's not way across the stage. He's right there. He's ready to catch you. We just need to let go and let God show up in our storm today. We're going to close with a song that we want to, some of you probably heard it, we want to teach it to you, but before we sing it, I want to read the lyrics to you. Just listen to what this says. When the solid ground is falling out from underneath my feet, between the black skies and my red eyes, I can barely see. When I realize I've been sold out by my friends and my family, I can hear the rain reminding me that in the eye of the storm, you remain in control. In the middle of the war, you guard my soul, for you alone are the anchor when my sails are torn. Your love surrounds me in the eye of the storm. When my hopes and dreams are far from me and I'm running out of faith, I see the future, I picture, slowly just fade away. And when the tears of pain and heartache are pouring down my face, I find my peace in Jesus' name. When they let me go and I just don't know how I'm going to make ends meet, I did my best, now I'm scared to death that I might lose everything. And when a sickness takes my child away, and there's nothing I can do, My only hope is to trust you. Because in the eye of the storm, you remain in control. In the middle of the war, you guard my soul. You alone are the anchor when my sails are torn. And your love surrounds me in the eye of my storm. We're going to sing this song, and I want you to stay. I want you to stay till the end of the song. The end of the song will be our dismissal if you need to leave at that point. But please leave quietly, leave respectfully, because God wants to do some stuff here this morning. God wants to do something at these altars. Maybe there's something happening in the pew right next to you. Don't just think, oh, hey, church is over. If you need to go, that's fine. But I think some of us here this morning maybe need to come. Spend some time. Spend some time saying to God one more time, Lord, I need you. I need you to show up. Spend some time maybe repenting that we tried to do it all on our own. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Christ. And like I said before, if that's you, come. I'm going to ask our altar workers to come and stand. And these people are just people that love to pray, love to share Christ's love. And they'll help you. They'll pray with you. If you want to come and spend time without somebody coming and praying for you, because sometimes that can be like, oh, I just came to spend time with the Lord, and then this person's coming and Ask me what's wrong. Come and stand in between those people or kneel. And I'll ask our ushers or our altar workers not to, not to bother those people that are kneeling. But if you want prayer, stand in front of them. Does that make sense? Let us sing this song over you. Altar workers, would you come? In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. In the middle of the war, 
You got my soul. You alone are the anchor when my sails are torn. Your love surrounds me in the eye of the storm. When the solid ground is falling out from underneath my feet, between the black skies and my red eyes, I can barely see. When I realize I've been sold out by my friends and my family, I can feel the rain reminding me. And in the eye of the storm, you remain in control. In the middle of the war, you guide my soul. You alone are the anchor when my sails are torn. Your love surrounds me in the eye of the storm. When my hopes and dreams are far from me and I'm running out of faith, see the future, future slowly fade away and when the tears and pain of heartache are pouring down my face i find my peace in jesus name but in the eye of the storm you remain in control amen in the middle of the war you guard my soul you alone are the anchor when my sails are torn. Your love surrounds me in the eye of the storm. Thank you, Lord. When they let me go and I just don't know I'm gonna make ends meet. I did my best, now I'm scared to death that I might lose everything. And when sickness takes my child away and there's nothing I can do, my only hope is to trust you. I trust you, Lord, in the eye of the storm. You remain in control in the middle of the war. You guide my soul. You alone are the anchor when my sails are torn. Your love surrounds me in the eye of the storm. You remain in control in the middle of the war. You guide my soul. You alone are the anchor when my sails are torn. Your love surrounds me in the eye of the storm. You remain in control in the middle of the war. You guide my soul. You alone are the anchor. When my sails are torn, your love surrounds me 
in the eye of the storm. 